Welcome to another episode of the One For You podcast, the podcast with the greatest guests, because we have Alan Motley here today, who is actually here for the second time for this very episode, but also the second time for real. But he had to return for the recording of this particular episode because technology. Yes. So Isn't it always the way? Yes, it is. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Welcome back. Uh, I should also say my name is Olivia Cheromeo. No, I'm not Andre Erdin. He has disappeared. I don't know where he went. But so it's Everybody Alan knows. and me today. Yes. And we are actually going to discuss um, Ash is Purest White and... The Lost One. Exactly. But before we get into that, Alan, what has been going on in your life in terms of film? Well, uh, I've been upping my game in terms of uh, watching films and writing about films, motivated by finally getting a Letterboxd account. Ooh, what is your Letterboxd account so people could follow you? Uh, it's Alan Mutley, uh, A-L-A-N, the usual, and M-A-T-T-L-I. And also, since I was last on a podcast, I went to the US for the first time, where at one point I watched... I believe 13 films in one day, but they were short films. But okay. still, it was yeah. a lot of individual works in one day. So I think that might actually break my own record. That might, yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, if it was like 13 like feature-length films, that would have been impressive. Kind of like the guy who watched Captain Marvel seven times in one fil- uh, in one day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird yeah. for I've, some reason. I've done like 11 films in one night, but I think that's... And that, those were feature films, but I what? think that's about my... That's my limit. How is that possible? Well, we started at like six and then just went all the way through... Well, no, earlier at... Three or four and yeah. then went all the way until eight in the morning. Okay, was there a particular like logic to what you watched or was it just random stuff? It was completely random. At some point we just switched on the TV and then, oh look, Bad Boys 2 and Pro, <laughs> and Pro, Pro 7 just started, so let's watch that. I mean, and that takes a while because of all the ads and stuff. That's so. true. That's true. Okay. <laughs> um, a bit, little bit, you know, closer to home, like is there anything that you've seen recently that you might want to recommend to our listeners? Absolutely. Um, as people might remember from last time, I'm a bit of a world cinema nerd. So I've got a, f- appropriately enough, I've got a French film for, for people. Mm. Uh, it's called At War in English or En Guerre in French. And it's about a strike in a small French factory town. And it's very, uh, very interesting in how it deals with, uh, with striking and with story because it's very much centered on the collective and you just follow this group of people from meeting to meeting and from discussion to discussion and it's uh, also very socialist so that's right up my street as well okay well um i have seen endgame i've seen endgame more than once <laughs> since it came out um yeah and what can i say i think it's like it's everything basically that you wanted from this film as a fan i think it's fan service in the best way because you know i think after 11 years and, I don't know, 21 other films, you know, what else can you do? So if you haven't seen any of the other films, this is not for you. It's just not for you. And it was emotionally very, very satisfying. Um, You know, there was like crying and laughing and everything. Um, Yeah, and I'm not going to talk about the plot because, you know, spoilers, even though I think like half the world has seen it by now. So give the other half some time. Yes, let's give you some time, guys, and then we'll talk about it again. We'll do a special. No. Mm. <laughs> Looking forward to that. I mean, I've unilaterally decided this now. Let's not tell Andre. I'll okay. just be like, it's a regular podcast. I can come Surprise. back for that. You can come back. Okay, excellent. Good planning. All right. So, but before we do that, let's talk about something else. Namely, Ash's Purest White, which um, 
is in Swiss cinemas now. It's the newest film um, of director Jia Zhangke. Sounds about right. Yes, okay. Good enough? Good enough. Whew. Okay, um, it's the story basically of Zhao, played by Zhao Tao, who lives in this northern Chinese mining town and her boyfriend is um, is a gangster who runs with, with this crew and she um, also runs with them because they are together and basically it's just about their lives and you know what they're what they want what you're gonna do um, and yeah then everything seems happy and fine and good until the moment where they get into um, conflict with with a different gang and and Zhao has to defend de defend her boyfriend uh, Bin um, and for doing that she goes to prison for five years and when she comes back he's not there waiting for her so she goes looking for him yeah and basically in the background you see a uh, changing China because um, the film starts in 2001 and ends in 2018 so you see how China changes I think in terms of of um, you know of of society in terms of of uh, the economy and natural landscape and everything, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so what do you think? Well, I liked it a lot. I have to say I'm coming in with a bit of bias because I'm a big fan of Cha uh, Sang Ke. Uh, his other, some of his other movies like uh, Touch of Sin and Mountains May Depart, they, um, they're very good in how they start at a certain point and then just as you think you figured them out they go in a they go places where you didn't expect them to go and i think this is in ashes purest white this really reaches kind of a kind of a zenith because the movie is so many things at once like it's a gangster movie first and it's kind of a romantic melodrama it turns science fiction in one short weird say, uh, sequence and yeah it's and it's also a social drama so it has all of these elements and it just keeps switching between them and gives you this very comprehensive view of uh, the last 20 something years or 15 something years of uh, uh, of Chinese history and I was very invested in that because uh, even though it's a fairly long film I always felt invested because there's always something there's always something around the corner that can that can surprise you mm. yeah i mean i think um i mean a lot of the or a great part of the fascination of the film comes actually from uh, zao tao who mm -hmm. plays um chao with i don't know she's in, i think she's really 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 good mm -hmm. i mean um you don't you know it's not like there's a huge change oh before in terms of, you know, like, I don't know, costume or makeup or whatever before prison and after prison and whatever. It's just you can see how much she has changed on her face and you can see all these big emotions sort of churning away underneath, mm -hmm. you know, um, and her face expresses it. But, you know, not like mugging or, you know, but just in a very subtle way. So yeah. I think she was really, really good. Yeah, there's not none of that scream acting going no, on that no. you think that, oh, wow, this is acting now, but it's really like it's... It, comes across very clearly but it's also very subtle yes so i think that was really good i also like you know how you see the i mean like the political com or political social commentary in the background where you know you have things like the three gorgeous dam mm -hmm. and when she arrives there other people are being displaced you know they have to move because the, yeah. the dam is being built or later um in when the film has in, arrived in 2018 you sort of 
you sort of see like these huge empty buildings or like a, a huge train station that is far too big for, yeah, you know, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. So you have all of this, which I think is very interesting. Um, yeah. And you have very beautiful images mm-hmm. as well. Yes. Right? So the imagery is gorgeous, mm-hmm. both insides uh, when you have like a chamber play situation going on yeah. and outside when you have the sweeping vistas yeah. and inside, I think it's very interesting how the, the camera moves very deliberately. There is, even though, again, like Zhao Tao's acting, it doesn't jump out at you. But when you start to pay attention to how the camera moves and how the camera, uh, how the characters move with it, uh, you get the sense that this is a that this is a director who really knows how to plan out mm-hmm. a long scene and how to choreograph his actors and actresses to move in a certain way. That it's not only it doesn't only seem dynamic, but it's also it conveys a lot without uh, without actually, without words. Yeah, I think you can see it from the stills even that you see it around, you know, if you go check out a review or something. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you go on the on a trailer and don't even play it yet, there's uh, the still that, you know, mm-hmm. comes up that you can see how neatly this is, is put together. Yes. It's very good. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I do think it's a bit long, mm-hmm. I have to say, at 135 minutes towards the end, my attention was sort of wandering, yeah. I think, because I also think that the first part is the strongest part, actually, for it, me. It would be interesting to have Andre here, because yeah. I saw it with him, and he said that he wasn't quite convinced after the first part, but mm-hmm. then afterwards he really got on board with it. Okay. And I'm like, I never really fell off board, and I agree that the first part is probably the strongest part, but then... Uh, as it continues, I was just so interested in how it was, uh, how it would continue um, this premise and how it would keep playing with it and how it ultimately is a very open-ended film. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, that's not an issue for me. I think, yeah. you know, open-ended, you yeah, don't have sure, to have sure. a solution or it's like this or it's like that. Yeah. I just thought maybe, yeah, yeah no, I it think didn't all, always hold my attention i think that's fair with yeah yeah, i have this very this very blunt tool to see whether i'm uh invested in a in a film when it's long when it's two plus hours and i've had a long day and i never i never find my mind wandering then it really did it really did well in in what it in what it was set out to do and also uh that scene before uh xiao goes to prison Mm -hmm. is just such an amazing scene in every in every sense of the word, and this is probably where it goes where it goes most gangster film like. Yeah, and that's also the point where you could see it kind of going into a Martin Scorsese kind of direction. That's true, but what I like about it is that I was thinking when I watched it, just remember it now, like that the violence in it is always so singular in yes. a way. You know, it's not like huge shootouts or or. For the most part, no massive problems. Yeah. And even if there are, there's always a singularity mm-hmm. to this violence. You yeah. know, this is happening to this person and it's really, it's not over the top. It's like it could happen, yes. you know, if people not Hollywood fighting. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. there's like, what, four or five times a gun is shot for one single shot in the whole movie. Yeah. And it's still very tense. Very tense. True, true. So definitely one for you, I guess. Absolutely. And I would say one to see at the cinema. Yes. Yes, definitely. If you can do that. Fair enough. Okay, then let's move on to the gem session, where as always there will be spoilers because we're discussing um older films. And today Alan has brought us a gem, namely uh, De Verlorene or The Lost One. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us about it? 
Okay, for uh, the last one, I'm going to have to go on a little bit of a tangent regarding German cinema history, but bear with me, I'll keep it as brief and interesting as possible. So, uh, in 1931, uh, you probably know one of the most famous films from that year, namely M by Fritz Lang, about a child molester in uh, pre, well, obviously pre-Nazi Germany, played by Peter Lorre who then, after the Nazis took power in 1933, went to Hollywood, was the token Weasley suspicious German guy for a few years. He was also in Casablanca. And then after the war, he returned to Germany, where in 1951, he shot and directed his first and only film, namely uh, Der Verlorene, the last one, which is usually seen as a bit of a bookend to M in how well, while M kind of prefigured the Nazi regime, a lot of people say that German cinema tried to come to terms with the Second World War in the last one, and then it ended up being a huge flop because it turns out six years after the end of World War II, uh, German German audiences did, were not that interested in uh, confronting what had happened before. So what the movie is about, it's about a doctor, uh, Dr. Rote, uh, played by Peter Lorre, uh, who during uh, World War II worked on a secret government project. We don't really know what exactly he did. And then after the war, he uh, we see him at the beginning of the film in a refugee camp where he gives vaccinations to refugees and to homeless people. And then he is confronted by a mysterious man who... Uh, what's his name? I forgot his name. His name is um, Novak in Ex that time, but exactly. his pr previous name was Hirsch. Exactly. Uh, so Novak confronts him and we find out that the two have a history together, that during the war they worked together and uh, there was a bit of a love triangle going on with, uh, with Rotis' fi uh, fiancé Inge, who uh, was a spy and whom, uh, who was killed by, um, by Rote in a jealous rage because also she was having an affair with uh, Hirsch. Who was having the affair because she was a spy and he yes. was from exactly. police and he had to figure it out. Yes. So much plot. So much plot, yes. Although it does take a while to get going. Like you say, we start at the beginning in the refugee camp. Mm -hmm. And I also like it that, I mean, I knew the film was from 1951, but you are in a camp and there's mm. war time. So you don't know what type of camp this is, yeah. right? So we see like a Dr. Mengele type of doctor mm -hmm. or not. And then you realize, okay, it's like, it's set after the war. Um, and then you have, like, they have they have this conversation, um, Neumeister and Novak, because, mm -hmm. you know, Neumeister is like, whoops, someone from my past is here, this is not good. Yeah. And you can see that, you know, it's already clear because he starts, he, he takes a gun with him when they have the conversation, mm -hmm. right? So there's always this sort of latent threat you think okay some something is gonna there's gonna something is gonna come to a head here yeah um and then only like part you you get the the past you know what happened there. yes yeah and i think the central part of it is the murderers because mm -hmm. there are several murderers <laughs> because once like rote slash neumeister you know gets a taste for it because he kills inge because you know mm -hmm. she has betrayed him so after she confesses it, which we, by the way, never hear, which I thought was very interesting, you know, Absolutely. that we only, um, so she says, oh, this guy is called blah, 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 blah. And then cut. And he says in the 
in denial or past mm-hmm. war time. Yeah, and she confessed. And then um, she thinks he's forgiven her and sort of caressing her, but he actually takes her um, her pearl, pearl necklace. necklace yeah. Yes, and he strangles her with it, yeah. right? So that's it. And then he gets a taste for it for some reason. At first, he's like, <laughs> he's wrecked with guilt, but then he, sort of, he becomes sort of sexually aroused by mm. the thought of killing other women, right? Also quite uh, out there for a film made in 1951. Yeah. Though, again, 20 years after the same actor playing a literal child molester. Yeah, so. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but it's very interesting because, um, you know, they're the type of women that he goes for mm-hmm. is, I think, in the loosest way you could also, you could say they are promiscuous women in a way, you okay. know, if you were to say, because Inge has an affair, then he goes after a prostitute and mm-hmm. then he goes after a married woman who is flirting with him, right? Yeah. So you could say, like, maybe he thinks that justify you know or that's yeah, the this, trigger or yeah whatever. this kind of patriarchal yeah. uh this yeah patriarchal trigger basically these totally. women have to be kept in line exactly it's by killing them yes and if he gets off of it whatever and then it's interesting because like neither inge nor the married woman they realize what's going on right mm-hmm. so um the only one who realizes it is the prostitute. And then she, she, she yells, Todsmacher, like dead maker or whatever, because she's like, this man is hella creepy. Yeah. And so she doesn't get murdered. Yeah. And like the other two bourgeois women, they get murdered because they don't recognize the darkness mm-hmm. underneath his, you know, exterior. And yeah. she's the only one who does. So that was quite interesting, I thought. And I like how, yeah, the, the darkness and the... Uh under the surface and in the interior. And I mean, if we're talking about the movie that for the most part is set during World War II in Germany, starring uh, or featuring a protagonist who works for the German government, I think it's interesting how if you watch the movie through that lens or with that knowledge in the back of your mind that it is this kind of... You always get that... Uh, you Or I at least always got the sense that there was some sort of repression going on, mm-hmm. but also... I mean, the movie is very aware of its, uh, of its, in how it deals with history, so that it can't show swastikas, for example, or it mm-hmm. can't actually show um, the horrors of concentration camps or something. But there's always this, this unsaid, um, these unsaid things there that is like, yeah. So this takes place in 1943, and there is. We all kind of know that Ger- that German people were complicit in something darker and mm-hmm. that there was something that to this day, to 1951, we are not really addressing. And I think uh, watching it with that, uh, with that in mind is very interesting because you then also start to, uh, you start to look for moments where that breaks through where, or where you have, um, like one of the characters at one point says in, in our times, we don't have mm-hmm. uh, we don't have time, or we can't we can't have these ethical considerations yes, anymore, totally. and just or the small wartime mm-hmm. wartime posters in the in the subway, well not the subway but the the train or something, and yeah, I I just on the one hand I see why it didn't play well to nineteen fifty one audiences, but on the other hand I would be really interested in how. Uh, uh, yeah, how people talked about this movie when it first came mm-hmm, out, mm-hmm. because it feels it feels very subversive, even though it doesn't it doesn't make it clear or obvious that it's about or that it deals somewhat with Nazi Germany. Yeah, it's true. I mean, 
even like his work that he does at the institute, <laughs> you know, he does some sort of experiments on on animals, uh -huh. and you don't, and you know, there's always this at the back of your mind. So are they going to move on to human testing mm. or what's happening? And then there's a scene once he's found out about Inge's betrayal, um, he's sort of lumbering around the institute, and then suddenly he smears blood into his face. Uh -huh. But you also, I was like, where did the blood come from? And you know, and because did you know what? Uh, yeah, was it's like? because uh, because they had to give the the shot, or they they had to take blood from the from the rabbit, and then it spluttered ah. onto the table a little bit, and then the assistant wanted to wipe it off, and he was like, no, no, leave it, just, okay, just take the okay, rabbit. Okay, I was like, it came out of nowhere. Anyway, but you know, so you have this connect, and like there is blood, yeah. literally blood on him, you know, mm -hmm. and then like ah, so that there is a connection that they are guilty of something, especially <laughs> if you know the secret police is yeah. interested in their work. Yeah, and then at the in the end, I guess we can say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Neumeister he kills he kills Nowak. Yes. Because he, I guess he blames him for what happened to him, right? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, not because oh you are an evil man of the secret police and. I mean, on what on some level maybe that he was yeah. because like the third person who is another character who was in cahoots with them mm -hmm. he is also dead and then. He kills Novak uh, slash yeah. Hirsch, and then he kills himself. So he kind of tries to root yes. out this, uh, this darkness from. True, and what's very interesting is the way in which he kills himself because he stands on um on on train tracks. Oh yeah, which of which course is... the trains going to the to the camps. You know, yeah, a lot of Holocaust people. imagery yes. there as well. Exactly. So that was very very interesting. I thought in the way in which he killed himself. Yes. And beautifully shot as well, considering that this was his first and only directing effort. Yeah, no more. Too bad. Yeah. So, one for you, I guess. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, I brought, but I have to say, I've only seen it years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I've only seen it once up until last week, uh, because um, I, I read about it in a magazine and I was very interested because I'm also a big fan of M and they discussed it in connection with M. And... Then, yeah, I watched it, I liked it, but then when I revisited it uh, last week, I was really impressed by, yeah, how well it holds up and how fascinating it, uh, it really is. So I really think I brought, I just brought it along also because I thought, yeah, it's about a guy who comes back to somewhere uh, like in Ashes Purest White, but the country around him has changed. And I thought thematically it would work, but then revisiting it, I thought there is there really is a, even more there than I first than I saw at first glance. Yes. So I would, even though it's not a not a happy watch, I will probably revisit it in the future again. Yes, I mean no, I'm saying yes. I probably won't revisit it, <laughs> but it was very interesting to see. And I also just want to say one thing. There is a guy in there. He looks like Clive Owen. I know you didn't see it, but I definitely saw it. So, <laughs> I mean, that's something for me to watch out for yes. when I watch it again. If anyone is going to watch um, the, uh, the last one and you see which guy I mean, I'm not telling you. Just tag, just let us know on like social media and please confirm my suspicions. <laughs> I think they are related. He's his ancestor or something. Yes, definitely. Sure. Sure. I mean, Clive right. Owen and his illustrious ancestry. Definitely. <laughs> Okay, uh, before we end this episode, um, let's look into the future 
And uh, is there something you look, you're looking forward to? Absolutely, Detective Pikachu. <laughs> because I'm a huge Pokemon fan. Um, and for years I would have, I've been waiting for a good video game movie. Even though it's based on a very weird uh, video game. But uh, it has Ryan Reynolds in it. It has a lot of cool looking Pokemon in it. And early word is good. The, it's supposed to be very beautiful to look at. It was shot on film. Uh, so the, um, the film nerd in, in me rejoices too. So yeah, I can't wait to see it. Okay. Um, yeah, me definitely. Definitely. I definitely want to see it. Even though I haven't played... Uh, Pokemon in a while, but I remember when I was younger, you know, I would r rush home from school so I could watch the cartoon. Oh yeah, me too. I have this, this distinct memory of myself rushing up the stairs when I was staying at a friend's right. because we were there. it was such an exciting episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, another film that's coming out next week here is um, Stan and Ollie, which is the Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy biopic with Steve Coogan and John C. Riley which is about their um, farewell tour in Britain, I guess, in the 1950s, when um, they were sort of over their zenith, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, and um, they were trying to figure out whether people still wanted them to be this duo and whether they themselves want to be the duo um, as well, because their friendship is on the rocks. And uh, it has been out, you know, in the UK and, and the US, I think, for a while, and uh, the word was really good. So I'm looking forward to it, even though I have to say, I don't think I've actually, you know, really seen a Laurel and Hardy film, any of them. If you want to watch one, uh, I can recommend Helpmates. It's Helpmates. Uh, okay. 20 minutes, 20, uh, 20 minutes full of, uh, full of jokes and slapstick. And it's really, really fun. Yeah, I think actually it would be right up my alley because I know it's like my humor is so basic that I love <laughs> slapstick. It's like... <laughs> Slapstick is great. Slapstick is great, right? I think people should do more of that. Yes. yes. That was like, even when we watched Deadpool and there are so many singers and everything, but I think I laughed the hardest at the slapstick bits, yeah. right? As, yeah. I mean, and I mean, Deadpool is just slapstick just with blood, more blood. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yay for slapstick. Yay for slapstick indeed. So thank you very much, um, Ellen, for returning to the podcast. Anytime. I'm sure we'll call upon your services again. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. But if people don't want to wait this long, where can they find you and your film reviews? Uh, they can find my film reviews on uh, facingthebittertruth.com. And as stated previously, just follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, I link to all of my reviews there as well. Excellent. And that was it for this episode of the One For You podcast. Next episode, Andre hopefully will be back and we'll discuss The Beach Bum. And if you want to suggest a gem to us, we now also have a Letterboxd account. One for you, no space. Give it a go. Recommend something to us. We might, um, you know, use it as a gem in a future episode. To get in contact for a chat or a rant or general randomness, find us on Twitter or Instagram where we're at one for you pod, or write us an email at oneforyoupod at gmail.com. Hear you next time. Bye. Bye.